And good evening, everyone. Welcome to our fourth installment of the series entitled Elders, Deacons, Preachers, and Saints. We welcome everyone, those in person as well as those who are online. And we pray that we will look within the word of God to help us continue to grow in the word. Shall we pray? Our blessed, our loving Heavenly Father, it is a wonderful day. A wonderful day, Father, where we can come together as a family, as a community, as children of God, and learn more about you. Learn more about the the work that a congregation must endeavor to accomplish in order to help the congregation grow in the word. And, Father, we know that you provide us wonderful opportunities and wonderful templates, Father, to help us grow. And we pray, Father, that we will seize each and every opportunity that we have, Father, to to grow in our knowledge of you, to grow in wisdom, to grow in, in the service that we provide. Heavenly Father, thank you so very much for this day. These things we pray and thank you for in Christ Jesus' most holy name. Amen. In this particular lesson, in this particular lesson, we go from general characteristics that we talked about last week to specific qualifications of elders. And we will be looking at that in a little bit when we get over to uh, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3 as well as Titus chapter 1. In reviewing the different roles in the church that carry specific responsibilities, we have begun by focusing on the roles of elders and noted that elders exercise the leadership of Christ Jesus in the local assembly. So then, we have looked at some of the general characteristics concerning elders and found throughout the New Testament. Now, what were some of the things we looked at? We found last week that elders accept only the Bible as God's word that they love the church. They know how to worship physically as well, I mean publicly rather, as well as privately. Elders work well with others. They understand decision making, meaning that they realize you have to make tough decisions sometimes and we have to stand by those decisions. They are dependable. And finally, elders are able to share their feelings with the congregation. Now, we think about what we just talked about. These were some of the, the general things about the kind of men who should be encouraged to serve as elders. In this lesson, what we want to do is look at some of the more specific qualifications required for, for the leadership role in the church. And we want to break it down into, as you see on the slide, cultural and eternal. So when discussing the specifics of the eldership, then it is definitely helpful to differentiate between what is cultural and what is eternal in the Bible. Because what we find is this, some things that the Bible describes were done because of culture. For instance, the way they dressed, the way they spoke, certain customs like the washing of, of, of the feet of guests, the wearing of veils. 
The Bible does comment on these things. Make no mistake about it. And we see people experiencing these things. But they were part of their cultural setting and not commandments that needed to be perpetuated, that is carried on beyond the cultural context. An example of that would be washing the feet. It was a sign of hospitality. As And we've heard this before. It was customary back in that time for a host to have guests' feet washed upon arrival. And we know that this was necessary because in that time, since the roads were dusty and the men wore sandals, so the people wore sandals, uh, naturally their feet were getting dusty and dirty. So long as this custom was significant culturally, it needed to be done as a sign of courtesy. It needs to be done as a sign of mutual service. Fast forward. It is no longer relevant in our society. Today we offer a beverage. We offer to take one's coat. We, we offer them a place to sit. If someone is ill, we may even offer to prepare a meal for them. Now, other things are eternal. They may have been part of the Jewish culture. They may have begun during uh, that time, but through teaching, through command, and through example have become perpetual things in the Christian faith. And one item in particular that we want to talk about is baptism. Baptism was something that was used by both the Jews and pagans. But what we have happening is this right here. Christ Jesus took it and made it a necessary part of the Christian faith. We, we, we visit again Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 through 20. Remember Christ Jesus had, had met his disciples on the mountain there in Galilee at the place where he had chosen and he started out by saying all authority has been given unto him, given unto him in heaven and on earth. And then he said, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It became a command. And in Acts 2 at verse 38, we see Peter, after preaching that, that first sermon of his, it was so compelling that people asked him, what must we do? And he told them to repent and be baptized. Another thing that's changed, the different roles of men and women in the church are another example of things that have an eternal nature and are not subject to the changes in custom uh, or culture. Now, many would argue at this point, many would argue that male spiritual leadership in the church and in the home was a a cultural thing. It was unique only to first century times. They say that in the modern era, They say that in the modern era, these these biblical models of wives being submissive to their husbands and women not being allowed to serve uh, in leadership roles in the church are, they say that they are outdated. They say that they are culturally irrelevant. But the Bible teaches something different. The Bible teaches that This is an eternal model established in Genesis and reinforced throughout the New Testament. We can read about this a little bit more in detail if you want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 2 through 77, as well as Ephesians 5 and verse 22. 
Some things were cultural. And the Bible mentions them. And other things the Bible takes and make permanent. And it does this through teaching. It does this through example. Now, there's a reason I'm saying all of this. There's a reason I'm saying all of this. I'm saying all of this because the argument to have women as preachers, the argument to have women serve as elders or pastors today is based on the idea that having only men as the leaders in the church was a cultural thing in Jewish society, and of course it should be abolished. The answer to this, of course, is that in the New Testament, every command, every teaching, every example, and every reference to leadership in the church refers to men. The word elder means older Men, man, not older woman. The person needs to be a husband. The person needs to be a father. All references where elders are the subject in the New Testament always describe men in that role. So there's a point here. The point here is that if this was only a cultural thing, Okay, if it was only a cultural thing, the Bible would have left the door open for change. But what we find is this. The Bible does not leave this open to change. For example, it was Jewish custom that women did not have the freedom to choose whom they wished to marry. But in the New Testament, by not commenting on this, allowed the custom to die on its own and permitted women this freedom without any type of religious interference. Paul comments on this custom in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, but he does not command that the custom be perpetuated. But it's different with the elders. With the elders, it is different. Because with the elders, that we find that there are clear and there are specific instructions for men to form the leadership in the church, not women. We conclude from the specific nature of this teaching that this was one of the areas that was eternal and not cultural. Remember the basic rule for accurate Bible interpretation. Remember that rule, and it is this. It is that we speak, that we teach, that we insist where the Bible does and that we are silent where it does not. When it comes to elders, the Bible speaks. When it comes to elders, the Bible commands. When it comes to elders, the Bible explains as follows. Now we transition into specific qualifications from general characteristics now. And so two places we're going to be looking at. First Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, as well as Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. So let's go now to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And what we find um, when we go there is this. Paul is giving instructions to Timothy about the church in general, but not only that, how people should conduct themselves as part of that church. And in chapter 3, he lists some specific qualifications of those who would be church leaders. So I take you first to, to verse 1 of this text. The Bible reads, It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, 
it is a fine work he desires to do. The desire to serve as an elder is a good thing. It's a good thing and it's not to be interpreted negatively by others. It is not a sign of pride. He also states that, that this man's role, rather that this is a man's role and that it is a specific task, a specific office. Now, keep this in mind. I'm not trying to pretend I'm, I'm big on Greek and know, know any of it, but I do know this. In the original Greek language, there is no word for office. There's no word for office. So another way of saying this would be, if any man desire the overseership, if any man desire the eldership, if many, any man desire the pastorate. Paul says that this is a good work, and we have to remember, pay attention to what is being said here. The key word here is that this is a good work. This is not an honor bestowed upon a person. It is a task. It is a job. It is a ministry. It is a good one, but at its base, it is work. The man aspires, which is to say the man reaches for it. He reaches for it because he desires, that is, he wants it. He wants to do it. He is not drafted. He is not sold on it. He is not uh, pushed into it. He's not coerced in any way. He reaches for this work because he has a desire to do this work. Verse 2 of our text. The Bible reads, an overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Here, Paul lists a variety of qualifications. He starts out by saying a man must be above reproach. That is, um, he must have a blameless character, nothing that is charged against him openly. And, and, and I like the way another person put it a long time ago, I came across it, because you see, somebody can always throw an accusation at you. Somebody can always throw an accusation at anybody. But the point that this man made in this, when I was reading this, he said, but it doesn't stick. It doesn't stick. It says the man must be the husband of one wife. Or as they put it in the Greek, one wife's husband. Now, this is the only reference that we're going to find here to sexual conduct in these qualifications. So what, what Paul is doing is Paul is saying two things about this man in this area. Number one, he's saying this right here. That this person is a one-woman man. 
He is not sexually promiscuous, as were many of the uh, Gentile converts from paganism in those days who had uh, sex with temple prostitutes as well as slaves, but were married. Number two, he's saying he's doing this. He is barring polygamists from the eldership. Because, see, back in those days, there also there was a practice of the cultural of cultural polygamy in those days, and some of it overlapped, if you will, into the early church before it died away. Paul was holding the leaders to the ideal monogamous form of marriage. So I have an argument here. My argument here is based on Paul's previous statement that those who aspire to be elders should be above reproach. This is a reference to character. And so the following verses expand on what type of character traits this person should have. Husband of one wife. That refers to a man's character and not simply his his legal status. When I say legal status, uh, married only once, divorced and remarried, widower, widowed and remarried. This man must be temperate, which is to say moderate, not an extremist. This man must be prudent, careful in words and actions. This man must be respectable, dignified, and orderly. This man must be hospitable in that he loves strangers, not just those in his household, not just those in the church. He loves strangers. He is not addicted to wine, not someone who loves strong drink or a drinker. Pugnacious. Okay, what is that? Someone with a quick temper. So this man not, must not be someone with a quick temper. He must not be someone walking around with a chip on their shoulder, daring somebody to knock it off. He must be gentle and not contentious. That is yielding, not argumentative, but peace-loving. He must be free from the love of money, which is to say he's not greedy and not materialistic. He manages his own household well in that he knows how to meet the needs of his family emotionally, physically, and spiritually. But not only that, he leads his family. He's not a new convert. In other words, he is a man with experience in the church and experience in the struggle with sin. He must have a good reputation that is well thought of by and worthy to represent the church. So we transition to Titus chapter 1 verses 5 through 9. Here, Paul repeats some of the same ideas using different words and adds a a, a few other qualifications in his letter to Titus. We go to verse 5 of the text. The Bible reads, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Note that Titus appoints, that is, raises up the local elders, elders where there are no elders. And it's very important we, we realize that. He raised up elders where there no, were no elders. At one time, a long time ago, Tony Cloud and I were preaching down on the peninsula. Nakiska Church of Christ, no elders. So dot in the Church of Christ, no elders. Tony and I were both going about the same business without even thinking about it. And that is, 
helping people understand the role of elders and looking for individuals in the congregation that qualified to serve as elders because that was our responsibility. But once elders are in place, it's no longer, for instance, at this congregation, it's no longer Tony's responsibility to be raising up elders. The elders of this congregation should be doing this. Verse 6. Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion, for the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-control, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able both to exhort that is encouraged in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict the power of the word. The same word that brings us in is the same word that maintains us, the same word that strengthens us. The same word that brings forth sound doctrine is the same word that's used to refute those who want to contradict the word of God. So looking at Titus, again, you should see the words. Above reproach, husband of one wife. Same as 1 Timothy. Children who believe and are not accused of dissipation or rebellion. All these refer to man's children. So what is this saying for a congregation? Do not select a man whose children are non-believers or who are living pagan lives or rebelling against their fathers. This explains further the passage about uh, ruling well over one's own household. Because it comes down to this. While the children are with you, that is, living in your house under your roof, you're the head of that household. While the children are living with you, and you have responsibility as head of that household, if they live like pagans and rebel against you in your home, and you permit it, that man would not be a good candidate for the eldership. I remember some years ago at a meeting, and we were having a discussion about church discipline. And I remember a gentleman said very clearly, I love my son too much, I would never do that. I only have one statement to say to him, and that is you should not serve as an elder. This was over 30 years ago at a congregation called Cabbage Road Church of Christ. And that is the way it should be. Above reproach as God's steward. That is, faithful in the things of the church. Not self-willed, not quick-tempered, addicted to, not addicted to much wine, not pugnacious, not fun assorted gain, but hospitable. These are the same as you find in First Timothy. And it continues, loving what is good, that is love, righteousness, sensible, that is temperate, prudent, just, that is fair. A man who is devout, devoted, pious, gives importance to spiritual things. Self-control, self-governed, not swayed. 
holding fast the word, faithful in maintaining the Bible as God's word and able to see it, to rather to use it to build and defend the church. Again, the same word builds the church up. The same word is used to defend the church. That's a lot of qualifications. <laughs> when you look at uh, first, first Timothy chapter 3 and then you look at Titus and you say, my word, that's a lot of qualifications. I remember we were hiring a preacher a long time ago and uh, we were trying to identify the things we wanted this man to do. And I remember brother said, uh, we don't want to tell him all that stuff. He might not want to preach here. So let's give him the least amount that he can do instead of everything we need it done. Many qualifications usually discourage people. Many qualifications usually discourage even present elders, but it also make others feel completely unworthy of, of even trying to lead God's people. But I need us to remember a few things about these qualifications. Just a few things. About four or five of them to be exact. Number one, these many qualifications that we're talking about, these many specific qualifications that we're talking about, they are eternal, meaning that in every generation, God wants people like this. They are eternal, but they are not impossible. These are all human qualities that people possess to, to a greater or to a lesser degree anyway. So the church didn't need men who see these in themselves and are also willing to serve. Number two, they are mostly subjective in nature, except for a couple of things. Except for being a man, except for being married with believing children. These qualifications there are not these qualifications, rather, that I'm talking about, other than those first, those two I just mentioned, are not absolutes. And what I mean by that is this right here. And and maybe somebody, I think, Josh, you're a numbers man, right? Yeah, Josh is a numbers man, so he, he got this. So when you talk about what we are, just how hospitable is anyone in here? Just how devout is anyone in here? Just how sensible, just how temperate. How do you have to, how, how hospitable, devout, sensible, and temperate do you have to be to serve as an elder? Who measures? Who measures? No one. Number three. God knows that we cannot be these things to a perfect degree, but, but should be qualified to a positive degree. Not a perfect degree, but a positive degree. In other words, these qualifications should be present to the degree that they can at least that they can at least be recognized by others as positive things that they see in us. You know, 
And I think this is probably something to hold people back as well from serving as elders and possibly deacons and who knows, possibly even working as a preacher. We may not feel good enough. We may not feel just enough. But the thing, the point is this right here. If others in the church see these things in us, it means something. It means they do exist to the degree that enables us to serve others as elders. And that is why, that is why God has organized it in such a way that others select us and we don't go about the business of selecting ourselves to serve as elders. Number four. These qualifications provide a framework for growth. Now, now think about everything we read in the word of God about maturing in the faith. It's almost like saying if we're endeavoring to do that, everything that we do, whether we serve as an elder or not, we're putting ourselves in a position that we would qualify if we truly, if we had the desire to do it. So again, it's a framework for growth. It's a framework for growth. There are many adjectives that describe how a Christian needs to be that are not mentioned in this list. And I just want to throw three of them, three at you. Zealous, kind, and helpful. These specific things are mentioned because the nature of the specific tasks of the elders requires that the elder possess and cultivate specific qualities if that elder is to succeed in the work of the elder and avoid certain accusations that are especially easy for them to be subjected to. And I say this again, it's easy for me to hurl an accusation at anybody in here. It's easy for anybody in here to hurl an accusation at me. I mean, that nothing is going to stop anybody from doing that. But if we are living according to the way God wants us to live, none of that junk will stick. None of that junk will stick. It'll just be people throwing stuff that's not going anywhere, please. So then, elders need a blueprint. We need a blueprint for our personal, our own personal growth. And the Lord provides it here in First Timothy chapter 3 and also in Titus chapter 1. So we're getting down a little early tonight. We, I thank you all for being here tonight. Next week, we continue talking about the work of elders. And I know you might say, well, goodness, James, that's, that'll be five lessons. <laughs> well, that's how important that work is. That's how important that work is. Um, I remember a, while, a long time ago when this congregation where I was worshiping was uh, going about the business of selecting elders. And it was like, some individuals did not get the message that was being taught from from First uh, Timothy and from Titus because several people nominated a man who had no children because they said he was a good man. That is not what the qualifi- how the qualifications read, and so 
as preachers, we have to do a better job, definitely, of making sure people understand the qualifications of elders, the qualifications of deacons when we're, when we're looking to raise those up so that they are bringing forth people who are truly qualified to serve in that capacity. But then that last part of that is, I guess I say the initial part of that would be going to that person to ensure that they have the desire and want it and want to serve as an elder. So, uh, for everyone online tonight, if you have any questions, you have our contact information on the slide there. For those who identify with the congregation, please, if you have any questions or you want some comments, please make them. Uh, probably in about 10 minutes, we're going to have a, um, a devotional. Um, I hope everyone is able to stay for that because, uh, you know, what we're doing right here is just a small portion of that, that rejuvenation that takes place on Wednesday night. It's not just his Bible class, but it's also the devotional as well that help gives us that energy and that strength to put up with the junk that we have to deal with outside those doors uh, on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday before we come back on Sunday. So thank you all for being here tonight.